Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. The show can be watched live, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, amigos? It's the Prodigy Maker Show, episode 61. It's Chris Lewitt. I'm back with you talking about summer camp pitfalls and with the summer season coming up, camp is coming around the corner. I'm getting ready here for our high performance summer camp. So camp is on my mind and I wrote a great article for New York Tennis Magazine about summer camp pitfalls and sort of a guide, uh, things to watch out for. Uh, for parents, uh, maybe for some coaches who are thinking about sending their players to summer camp. And um, you know, I want to share some of those ideas with you guys. And if you're, if you're on the show live, if you join the chat, you can ask me any questions you have about summer camp or anything else about junior development. Uh, I've been really busy up here in Vermont at the club coaching. Uh, I coached like three weeks straight. Uh, so sorry, guys. I know we have a lot of loyal fans for the show, and um, you're probably jonesing for some episodes, but I have a few new episodes coming up, and um, I think we're going to talk about Alcaraz and Nadal a little bit in um, maybe an, another short show uh, next, if I can get to it this afternoon. But if you're here with me live, feel free to throw in a comment or a question. And uh, as you know, we love to talk about junior development and high performance training, uh, anything in, in that, uh, in my area of expertise, <laughs> it's going to be tennis training and, and junior development, technical training, and of course, what's going on with Spanish tennis and uh, Spanish tennis training. That is uh, my wheelhouse. So without further ado, let's talk about summer camp. And summer camp can be a really great experience for kids where they can improve and make a lot of progress. But unfortunately, uh, many kids find that they underperform at summer camps and in summer uh, academy programs. So I think it's really important to do your due diligence. And if you're a parent or you're a coach who's thinking about sending your kid to a summer program, that you uh, make sure there's the right fit. And that can be sometimes... Uh, difficult to to find a good fit for your player but uh talking about pitfalls uh in my latest article for new york tennis magazine coming out i think it's coming out this month um i had a player who who's uh, you know i have a lot of parents contacting me uh for summer uh for my summer program you know coming up here to the mountains of vermont and training seriously with me and i think we run a very good summer program maybe i'm biased but um, she said that she sent her daughter to a, a very famous academy in Florida. And I hear this a lot. I've heard this sentiment from other parents as well, because I'm sort of in the, you know, I'm in the business. And um, she told me that her daughter went to this uh, famous academy that's very well known for its technical expertise. And they changed everything and sent her home. And subsequently she was lost and really struggled and i think that that is uh maybe maybe one of the more rare stories you hear from summer academies because most summer programs don't like to change 
uh, too much technique, and that that can be uh, that's maybe the next pitfall that I'm going to talk about and discuss more. But for those academies that do want to uh, to work on a player's technique, you have to be really careful that that they don't change too much or that they don't over overwhelm your kid. Because if you send your player to a program for just a few weeks or even a month and they make a lot of substantive changes, that can have a dramatic effect on the trajectory of your child's uh, tennis game and potentially, potentially in a very negative way because um, changing grips, changing swing paths, changing back swings and forward swings, uh, making significant changes to movement patterns, uh, significant changes to serve technique, those kind of uh, rewirings, usually they take a lot of time. Uh, they're not usually quick fixes that you can accomplish in just uh, a week or two. And uh, sometimes they can, they can really affect the player's confidence. And so I think if there's no, if there's no follow-up, if there's no way for the program to to provide support and follow up for the player, then it can be potentially catastrophic uh, for for someone to be rummaging around in the technical drawer. You know, you know, taking a kid and putting them in the the garage, as I like to say, uh, in the workshop and and sort of uh, or, or or to use another analogy like a medical analogy, taking a player and and bringing them to the the surgery department and uh, performing, starting to perform different types of surgeries on that player, technical surgeries, uh, as you know, with with surgery always comes risk. You know, risk to the health of the player. So if you if you do um, if you are looking at camps, and uh, be sure to check and see is this the place that that is very dogmatic and rigid about technique? Do they have a very strict technical system where your player will have to conform and do things in a certain strict way? Um, I got a good quote. Uh, someone's in the chat. It's uh, I didn't think anyone was on, but I see that we do have some people in the chat, and I just lost that chat. Josh, can you just repost that because? With my YouTube, maybe I can get it here. Yeah, with, with the YouTube live, the, the chat comes and goes, and I, I don't see an option for me to, um, to re-watch re it. Uh, so send me any question that you have. Um, anyway, with, with technique, you have to be super cautious. If, if you want your player to um, learn, learn technique, uh, thoughts on Alcaraz. Everyone wants to know about Alcaraz. Maybe I should, that's really the show. Um, so what would you like to know about Alcaraz? I, I was just interviewed by, um, it's kind of cool. I got contacted by Danish Broadcasting Corporation uh, from Denmark. And they, they asked me a bunch of, they did an interview with me and asked me a lot of questions for and you know they were doing background on an article they're writing because it's such a big topic in the news. I think I should do a separate show on Alcaraz and Nadal um, and their similarities and differences and and uh, how it relates to the Spanish way, the Spanish way of training. But if you have any specific questions about Alcaraz, uh, let me know. I, I, I of course I did this show with uh, Gil uh, Monday Match Analysis, which is another YouTube show, and we talked about Alcaraz and Nadal. Um, 
the fact that Alcaraz, I mean, Alcaraz is super talented and he's rising very quickly. I don't know if he can ever achieve what someone like Nadal has because Nadal has 21 slams and he's an absolute legend, maybe one of the greatest, you know, arguably the, one of the greatest of all time. And we'll, we'll have to wait and see if, if uh, Carlito can achieve even uh, 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 a, a third or a quarter of that success. He'll have to win his first Grand Slam and, and start from there. I think he, he, he probably can win uh, some slams, uh, but the, but can he be as good as, uh, you know, the, the big three, you know, winning, uh, um, multiple grand slams and winning 20 grand slams is, is, a f is far away from winning just, just a handful. And to be top 10 in the world is, uh, not the same as, uh, being number one and, uh, being the great, one of the greatest of all time. So I think he, he potentially could be number one. He potentially could win slams, but uh, I mean it's very exciting. It's very exciting for Spain, but I, I hear everyone talking about it, him like it's a lock, like it's a sure thing, and I think he's great, and he he really demonstrates a lot of uh, fundamental Spanish values, uh, and, and not only technically and tactically, but uh, also uh, uh, psychologically and. You know, in terms of his character and his attitude, he, he, he really is a, a wonderful example of, of the type of player that they like to build in Spain, uh, so on many different levels. But I just think the jury's still out on whether he, he has um, what it takes to be one of the, one of the greatest. And um, nevertheless, I think he will, um, he will be, he's obviously a, a star. And it's very exciting for me. It's very good for Spanish tennis. Spanish tennis uh, was in, really in its twilight, really struggling the last decade, 10, 15 years. And there was almost a panic in Spain that once Nadal retired, they would have no one on top. So this is just uh, incredibly lucky and uh, fortuitous that, that Alcaraz has kind of jumped onto the scene or onto the stage just as Nadal is, Nadal is still there, but, uh, you know, Nadal maybe has a few more years with his career, and it looks like Alcaraz will be able to uh, replace Nadal with uh, incredible star power. So it's, it's fantastic for junior development in Spain, fantastic for the for Spanish sporting culture and the public there. So it's, it's very exciting on that in that respect. And and I think, Alca I use Alcaraz a lot when I'm teaching as a, as a role model for my players, not only in terms of his technique and his tactics and the way he moves, the way he plays, but also in terms of his character and his humility, his respect, his hard work and his willingness to suffer. Those are all important aspects of the Spanish way. So um, a lot of good things there. I just think that a lot of people seem to um, have to have, have just sort of... Um, accepted that he's going to be or confirmed already that he's going to be uh, the next Nadal and n nobody I don't know if anyone can match what Nadal has done Nadal is uh, to me one of the greatest players ever and um, as good as Alcaraz is I, I don't know if he'll be, be able to match it's just not a fair comparison perhaps you know to try to be as good as Nadal 
winning a couple slams for Alcaraz and making number one would be, pl I think, plenty good. So let's see what he can do. Um, we'll talk about it more in uh, uh, episode 62 of the program. We're going to do another show on that because it is uh, it's really in the news. Everyone's very excited about uh, what Alcaraz is doing, and he, he is electrifying. So getting back to uh, camp and summer academies, be careful if you're if you're going sending your kid to a place. Make sure that they're not too dogmatic and rigid about technique. It can have potentially catastrophic results. If you do want a camp to work on your child's technique, like at our camp, we do that. And I love working on technique and biomechanics. I usually uh, am very careful to, to make sure there's a way for me to follow. If I'm, if I'm performing surgery on a player, I make sure that there's a way for me to follow up with their team back home. I make sure that there's a way that I can support that player, uh, potentially work with that player during the school year, not just in the summer, so that... Uh, so that the player is not lost because it's such it's uh, very common that if you, you start making technical changes that the player there's like a honeymoon period and the player is, is uh, you know sort of uh, buys in in the beginning but then you know you send them home and, and they, they they don't feel as confident they they lose control they they maybe their technique uh, backslides a little bit and bam uh, sure enough bang sure enough you have a problem and there's no one there to help solve it and so all of that work can be lost very easily uh, when you're doing technical work and I, I have a lot of experience doing technical work and sometimes I can get it done in a short time um, but I mean it's very complicated work sometimes with, with certain players certain athletes uh, and and uh, even if it, the technique looks like you you've made a good change you send the player away and they're no longer uh, at, at your summer program, and they can easily backslide, they can easily um, revert to old uh, muscle memory. It's, so it's a very delicate and careful process that has to take place to help kids with technique in the summer. So uh, at the same time, I caution and advise parents to watch out for places that do too little technique because that seems to be more in vogue than places uh, except for that one very famous academy in Florida and you guys who are in the tennis world you probably know what academy I'm referring to uh, and who is the guru there who also doesn't teach any of the uh, camp programs just gives privates all day so you can't actually get his expertise uh, if you sign up for his camp unless you pay a lot of money for privates, which uh, that's another thing maybe you should watch out for if you're a parent. But anyway, uh, most camps in the summer, I think they don't, they've just given up on technique altogether. And, and for, for the reasons I was saying, how difficult and delicate a process it is to improve someone's technique, they've just decided to work on some tactics and uh, play some matches and what what's hap what I see is that uh, year over year, summer over summer, players uh, can get lost in these types of uh, summer programs, and technical flaws and bad habits uh, just um, continue ad infinitum year over year, and no one ever fixes them. Like so, so you have players with real shoddy technique, real. Um, biomechanical inefficiencies, potentially technical 
issues that may uh, cause an injury, you know, down the road. It, so, so something that's potentially injurious or something that's very inefficient, biomechanically inefficient. And these players are not none of it's ever addressed because the camps have and the camp directors and staff, they know how difficult it is to make um, good technical changes. So um, in that and, and how hard it is. And, so, and, and in that respect, I give a lot of respect to that uh, that academy in Florida that tries its best. But I see so many kids damaged by overzealous coaches trying to change too much technique and force kids into a box, a technical box. Um, at the, and there, there's another one in Florida I can also think of. There's actually two coaches and academy programs in Florida that I know that are actually like that. Not too many. Definitely not the Spanish academy. So Spanish programs are um, classically, legendarily, uh, you know, hands-off when it comes to technique. And that's one of their strengths, in a way, because what you know when you send your kid to a Spanish-style program, no one's going to probably mess up their technique too much, which is a nice thing to know when you said you send your kid to camp. Uh, at the same time, some Spanish programs are too hands-off in the same way that I'm talking about, where nothing, uh, technical things don't get addressed in enough detail, and so um, uh, inefficiencies and, and poor technique get, sort of gets passed along to the next, the next place. And, and so on and so forth for many summers. And, and, and that's a shame, too, because then you have players who maybe could benefit from some uh, detailed technical instruction, uh, help with their biomechanics, uh, more detailed footwork instruction, especially serve. You see, you see many kids who are, have, uh, you know, the serve is, a, is the most complex biomechanical movement in tennis. So you see... Uh, naturally, you see a lot of uh, inefficiencies and poor uh, technical developments in the serve. And so you, 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 many times you see the, serves, the technique on the serves not really addressed at summer programs, which is a shame. And those, uh, so they just pass the player on to the next uh, school year program or to the next summer program. And, uh, and, and so a player could go through many, many summers without seeing improvement in their technique. So that is also uh, something to watch out for as a parent or a coach. If, you're sending, if, you, if you want your child to improve technically, try to you know, speak with the, the camp director, ask them what, what is their philosophy on, on technique. Do they have a very strict technical program? Do they have, a very, a wide, do they have very broad parameters for, for uh, technique? Do they make technical changes or do they think it's sort of a, a futile effort in the summer camp setting. A lot of camp directors, rightly or wrongly, believe that it's futile to make uh, any kind of significant technical changes. And then there are those uh, select few that I mentioned who are actually the opposite. They think that they got to change every single kid that walks through the door because uh, I think because of hubris and because of... Uh, uh, this is it's almost it's almost like an ego trip like everybody's got to do it our way and there's no other good there's no other um, uh, acceptable way uh, which is uh, which is you know equally equally problematic so I think try to find something in the middle some of the Spanish programs do that very well I think here in uh, my academy, we, we, we strike a really nice balance because I, I usually just ask the parents and the, I speak with the coaches of the players back home. And I think we, 
you know, not to um, to sound too egotistical myself, but I think we really try to get that balance right. And I and it starts with just communication, like talking to the kid, a player, and saying, "Hey, do you want to work on your technique this summer? You know, do you have things that that you'd like, or or, the, or their coaching team back home, or their parents, and say, you know, would you like us to?" Uh, perform some surgeries here or like, like, or if we do this surgery, you know, it, it might take uh, three to six months uh, additional work after summer. Do you want me to get started on that? Do you want me to introduce those, uh, those biomechanical changes to your player and then, and then provide some follow-up and, and some support uh, later on? Like those are the kind of conversations I like to have. I think those are really, that's a really responsible way to, uh, to work with kids in the summer, especially if they're not your private students that you see, year year round and I, I just i guess most places don't even think to have that conversation they just either do or they don't uh, either going to change or not change i think it starts with a conversation you know some kids want to come to camp and they don't really want to change that much they want to work on their on match play and maybe work on some some tactical patterns and i think that's okay you know like you don't have to say okay well don't 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 come here then if you don't want to fix your technique then get the hell out of here uh my old coach used to talk to parents and kids like that all the time uh and and if they didn't want to work on techniques all right go to the next camp that's uh, he would say you know get get the hell out of here uh i don't like to say that i say okay you want to come i, I we we'll work on that and and uh, you know i do have certain standards that i want like you've got to come and work hard in fitness i've lost some very top-ranked players who didn't want to do fitness you know they just want to hit balls and they didn't want to uh, go to the gym or run or, or do any kind of you know, multi-directional speed or work on endurance or footwork. Or, so, I mean, I have my limits, but, but in general, try to be balanced. I try to be balanced and open, open to uh, working on different things with the player. After all, a player may be there a couple weeks. Not every player can come for the entire summer. I like when a player comes for the entire summer because you can spend you know, many, six, seven weeks with a kid and really make a difference. But... Um, you know, if a kid comes for a week or two, how, mu how much can you actually change? If they want to do a lot of focused technical work, then that has to be very carefully planned out. And there has to be so uh, follow-up support for that player because there's always the potential that the player might backslide or, or revert, you know. Reversion is really common. Even if you make technical gains at camp, it's very common to revert after a camp is over. And so there has to be support post-camp for that player. And uh, some kids uh, want to do like a little, like they want to maybe like clean up their forehand or maybe clean up their serve technique, but they don't want to change a lot of other stuff. And like, that's okay too, but there has to be good communication to figure out what the plan is. And I guess having a plan is key. And as parents, if you're looking at a camp, you got to know like what, like what is the, what is the head coach going to do? Like, is he going to go in there and, and start messing around, like tinkering with everything? Or is he going to basically uh, not make any changes at all because you're, you're, your player is there for just a week or two. You got to know, like, what 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 is the philosophy of the of the camp owner or director, whoever's in the, whoever is is uh, running the uh, hospital, the uh, the surgery uh, department. You have to find out what is what is the plan here. What's going to happen? Don't just send your kid away and say like, oh, we'll see what happens. It could be bad. I mean, it could be good. It could be bad. It's too risky. Anyway, uh, I mentioned in the article that uh, ratios are really important. I think as a, as a parent, this is probably uh, a very important question you would want to ask uh, head coach. What is the ratio? How many 
players do you put on the court? So, uh, and how many coaches do you have for each player? So what does a typical practice look like? You know, um, in, in many of the, the best Spanish academies they have, and uh, in our summer program, which is uh, Spanish-based, you have to try to have two players per coach and court. So that is very high quality, and I would say more rare. Most summer camps put four kids on a court with the coach, and sometimes they put more, four or five or six players with a coach, which which I think is um, really problematic, especially in a larger summer camp settings where um, many times the experience of the coach is very important. Try to find out if a coach, the coaches that, who's going to be working with your kid, you know, in summer camp, you need to know, like, is it just uh, a local high school kid? Is it a local uh, D3 college kid? Is it the, one of the top uh, Division One players in the country who has... Uh, are are those who who is who is coaching your? Is it the normal academy coaches who work with all of the year-round players? A lot of academies sort of uh, hire staff just for the summer that are like, like they're not the normal academy coaches. Uh, a lot of famous academies do that because they're overwhelmed with large numbers, so they have to hire out like temp temp staff. Um, is the head guru working with your kid every week or every day? Probably not. I mentioned there's that famous academy where the head, the big hon the head honcho, the big cheese, is it doesn't even do any of the groups at all. You know that's problematic. Um, who is going to be coaching your kid? Who is going to be delivering information to your kid? Who is overseeing the the each player's training? Uh, is that a very experienced coach, uh, or is that someone who doesn't have a lot of experience, someone who's uh, just learning? And if, if it's okay to have a staff of college uh, players, I, I have some really good Division I players who I, I just hired, like uh, 13 UTR Division I players. I have them sparring every, with, with all the top-ranked juniors who are here. Like those guys, they, they don't have a lot of uh coaching background but that's but I will train them and guide them and I will be on court with them making sure that they do a good job uh, so that's how I ensure that there's good quality that, that even though they're they're younger college guys I'm I got my eye on them all the time because I'm on the court all the time I'm not sure other summer programs work like that because you you might have some uh, and there's a big difference between a 13 UTR division one player dif big difference in terms of knowledge and like technical skill than like a D3 uh, UTR 9 player, you know, big difference in terms of uh, knowledge and quality. Uh, and even then, there's still, you're going to have some young staff in the summer, but, but are they well supervised? Are they, are they trained? You know, is someone guiding them all the time, making sure that they don't mess up your kid? Uh, because it's, it's normal for a summer camp to hire uh, some good college players, um, I hope you know you, you definitely don't want some of the some of the lower quality camps might hire like local high school players or pe players that don't have a lot of skill or knowledge at all which is just that's not really what I'm getting I'm, I'm talking more from a high performance angle where most academies will have you know uh, some college players former college players, maybe a former tour player and even sometimes with the former tour player they, they might not have a lot of coaching background you have to make sure that 
that that person is, is uh, knowledgeable, experienced, and, and uh, will be supervised uh, in terms of uh, the coaching and, and, and that the, the head coach is, plan, is planning uh, all of the training for each player. That's very important. If you send your kid for one month with a young college kid who doesn't have a lot of experience, I don't know how much improvement you're going to get out of that, you know, even if it's at a famous academy. Um, so the, the level of the coach, the level of the coaching staff is really important. And are they, are they uh, well supervised? Are they, well, are they trained? Or are they just like out there doing their own thing with no one ensuring that the instruction is high quality? I think that is really important. So watch out for temp staff. Watch out for, uh, we'll talk about famous academies in, in a moment, but that's common. Watch out for lar large, large academies in the summer. Uh, big academies that run large summer camps, they, they usually have to have temp staff, temp coaches, because they have to uh, manage all of the, you know, you could have potentially hundreds of students coming in for a summer. A lot of famous academies make a lot of money that way. But they can't. They can't possibly have their uh, their best coaches, or their best uh, you know school year coaches uh, working with all of those players. The influx of players that that come in, they need those coaches to continue working with their their most uh, more their full time players. And um, gotta be careful. You want to make sure that the coach uh, working with your your kid is uh, experienced and and uh, going to provide high quality instruction, right? So uh, another issue with uh, summer camps, just quickly, is, is uh, fitness. So what I've found is a lot of camps, they don't, they don't do serious fitness. And maybe you want that, but in the, the people that listen to this show and people who are into high-performance junior development, they, they want professional fitness training. So as a parent, I would definitely check and see who is running the fitness. Is that person well-trained and uh, does that person have an exercise science degree or exercise science background uh it, the higher the better uh master's degree uh, uh certification in the uh, with the cscs a certified strength and conditioning coach is, is t typically the gold standard in in exercise science and in uh training uh which is uh, an ns nsca national strength and conditioning association uh credential uh, but but uh, is it just some guy like the tennis coach is is, is some college kid doing some some stuff in the gym? I mean you de you don't want that. You want someone who is uh, uh, professionally trained and professionally guided, is professionally supervised. You want someone with an exercise science background, running fitness, and you want a serious fitness program. So at many summer camps, the fitness is watered down. The fitness is. Uh, really lowest common denominator, poor quality fitness. And I think in the summer, the, I mean, my personal belief is that that's a great time to, to work like an animal and to really get your fitness up to, in, to make gains in your strength, in your endurance, in your speed and agility, and, and also to work really hard to prevent injuries. To me, that's what a really good summer camp should offer. Unfortunately, it's not the most popular uh, thing for a lot of kids just want to go and hit balls and so I think a lot of camps are they they water down their fitness or they eliminate their fitness or they just sort of you know they play like water polo in the pool or they go swimming and and like that's their fitness you know 
but that's not like that's not really real uh, strength and conditioning. So look, try to look for a program if you have a kid who wants that. I, I, I'm not talking about parents who have like lazy kids who don't want to work. But if you have a kid who like really wants to be a good player and takes their fitness seriously and understands that fitness is the backbone is like the heart and soul of a good tennis player. You need to be very strong in your fitness to be a champion tennis player. Then make sure that that you're uh, you're sending your kid to a place that takes that stuff seriously. It starts with the person that that the camp hires. Do they have someone professionally trained doing that? And it also it also uh, it also depends on, on on what their philosophy is in the summer. Because please watch out. A lot of camps the philosophy is very light fitness because they don't want anyone you know to get hurt they have a lot of kids coming in who are recreational who are not um they don't have a good uh level coming in for fitness so that they don't want to get those kids injured they don't want those kids uh you know it's bad for business you know to to work a kid too hard and then they're too tired and then they complain and they're not happy they get hurt and they want a refund or you know so so a lot of places they're, they're catering to players who are more recreational they got hundreds of players coming large numbers of players coming in so they just can't like it, it doesn't make financial sense for them to offer a professional fitness uh, strength and conditioning program so watch out for places like that because if you want something really serious and intense and demanding in terms of the fitness uh, regimen for your child um, most camps have just sort of eliminated they, they just don't do that anymore uh so you got to find the uh the, the needle in the haystack uh of the really good ones who take fitness seriously i think summer is a prime time to develop better better fitness and better injury prevention and all those things that i mentioned speed and agility and strength and power it's a, a great time to put together a, a high performance fitness plan and i think camps camps are a great place to do that we have uh, groups of players who help motivate each other. It's really fun to work on fitness with 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 your peers, and I just think camp is a perfect place to to work on that. Uh, watch out for um, all sport camps. Um, I don't like all sport camps from a high performance point of view. I have players who get who get you know they 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 get caught up in the all sport camps. So they're very popular here in the Northeast. Um, some of them have. Some of these camps have a great tradition, you know, they've been around forever. And so, so, so the families, some families have like a tradition of sending their kids to this, the same all kind of all sport camp, like traditional sleepaway camps. And I think these are really good places, like social places to make friends and to learn certain values of character and, and things like that. But, but they're not good places to learn tennis. And the tennis instruction is going to be relatively mediocre. Uh, the fitness instruction is the same. And um, the players who those camp the players that those camps cater to are going to be more recreational in nature. And so overall, I see a lot of kids squander their summer by going off to a, a social, traditional kind of like sleep like a New England. I don't know what they have in other parts of the country, but in here in New England, there's a lot of you know sleep away camps that are that are like tradition traditional traditions in in uh, like family traditions like like you know generations have gone there. I just think. Th those types of camps are are obviously they're very they're, they're I have no problem with them from a non-tennis perspective. But if you want your kid to get really good at tennis, don't fall for like the sales pitch 
that oh yeah we do all the sports and we do all this other stuff and then also we have a really good tennis program because it just it just doesn't it never works out like that and the kids who go there are not that serious so your kid ends up if your kid wants to be serious they're going to be like one of the few you know you want to surround your your kid with other other kids who are also serious and pushing themselves the environment matters you know the the environment for the summer program matters so i would just watch out uh, caveat Caveat emptor, buyer beware. Watch out for camps that are doing all the sports, like lots of sports. They give you a whole like smorgasbord of sports that you can choose, or, or camps that are, that are, uh, you know, like you know typical wilderness camps where kids sleep over and but they have tennis, you know. Uh, I have a question not related to camp from John. What's up? He says, "What made you become a tennis coach?" Well, the main reason I'm coaching is because I got injured. I would much rather be playing on the pro circuit. And my dream since I was a little kid was to play on the pro circuit. And I have to say that that's a huge, huge failure in my life that I just played. I played some futures and that's it. Never made it to the ATP tour. Uh, had a lot of injuries. I still have a lot of uh, uh, problems, physical problems that I'm managing. Uh, just bad luck, I guess. But that that got me into um, coaching. Like a lot of players, a lot of former players, they get into coaching. And I found out that I actually have a gift for coaching. I never really wanted to get into coaching or teaching. I found out I had a gift for teaching, basically. And I have this way with children. You know, like I, I have, I have, they sort of, uh, the children really dig my vibe. You know, like I have a, I'm kind of, I have a magnetic quality with children. So I never thought that I, I never knew that I had that. And I just, uh, over the years, I, I, because I was injured, I wasn't playing on the, on the future circuit. And, uh, so I started teaching to make some money, you know, like a lot of guys do a lot of young guys, like just after college or, you know, and, uh, that's how it started. And really the only reason I got into high performance coaching is because of Gilad Bloom, who's my former coach. He's an amazing coach, an amazing former player. He was a Davis Cup player for Israel. And Gilad Bloom was a ATP tour player in the in the eighties and early nineties. And and I, I just saw what he was doing uh with high performance and I was like, this is kinda cool. You know, I I would never I never saw myself teaching at a club or like being a country club coach, but but he was doing like his own business, so it was entrepreneurial. He was his own boss, and he was like very hip dude, and he was coaching kids like very intensely, kind of like the military, and like that appealed to me because my whole family's in the military. So that's what kind of got me interested. I was like, I really like what this guy's doing. Like this, this guy's kind of cool, and he's making you know he's making good money because uh, he had his own. He's doing his own business, you know. That appealed to me. Being I don't like having a boss, so I like, guess how I got got into high performance. I was like, oh, I can be my own boss. I can I can sort of uh, I can be tough and, and do and and uh, get to play tennis. Uh, I still play. I like I like to play with all my students, which is a real joy. You know, to, to get out. I do and I really enjoy getting out in the tennis court, not just feeding balls, but I, I still like to compete and play with all my students, which is fun. And um, and I, I do like I love I love kids. So I found that I do I do love kids and mentor I like mentoring uh, young kids. So you know I, what can I tell you? Is either that or maybe becoming going into the military, becoming like a, a college professor or something, or those are kind of like a minister maybe. 
Uh, I, those are like kind of my, my top list of uh, professions. I was like minister, professor. I, I've always been a writer, so I, I still write, but now I write tennis, tennis stuff, tennis books, tennis articles, and then uh, uh, military. Like, military has always, always been interested in this, some sort of like, you know, law enforcement or military. Some, I have, uh, back in my family, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Air Force and Army going back gen gen generations into the 19th mid-19th century. Uh, anyway, I, I combine all those qualities now into coaching, and it works. It works for me. I don't know how it works, but it works, and I, I, I like it. I've been doing it for a long time now. now that, that's a miracle that I stuck with something for 20 years, I'll tell you that. Anyway... Uh, be very careful. Let's wrap this show up. You know, let, let's talk about these large camps and famous camps. Just, just be careful for some of the reasons that I said. You know, large camps. Just try to understand that when I have thirty, like we take around thirty players in my my pro my summer program. That to me is a lot, and I can't imagine having ten times, you know, three hundred players coming in on on Sunday. Or, or 150 players, or even 100 players. I mean, it's a massive amount of kids. It's, a, it's, it's organized chaos. And you got to understand that it's very hard for, for uh, the staff and the director, I don't care how good they are, is to provide personal attention and to provide customized coaching to, to if, if there's just a, such a large, uh, uh, so many players coming into the program and running around. In in you very much at, at the height of summer at very large academies or famous academies, it's very much like survival, survival mode. Like just, we're just going to try to survive this onslaught of players coming in, because hundreds of players is is chaos. So, I mean, at least that's the way I see it. So um, just be aware of that. And if you do want, if if you're not looking for like an experience of just going, you know, going to a, a famous camp like like the like, you know, there are big famous academies like IMG or, you know, Nadal Academy or Murata Glau. There's a really, really um, kind of like celebrity academies. And usually they have really large numbers. Just, just you know, it's okay to go to those places for the experience of, of like, you know, training at Nadal's Academy or training at uh, Murata Glau's Academy or training at the Boletary IMG, like that, those places are, are pretty incredible academies, you know, especially for the higher level players who, who get the, the, atten the most attention there. I, I'm not sure you get, you know, in incredible training if you're just the regular, you know, regular um, player who goes there. But, you know, I think the, the, the level of training can be un uneven at a lot of those uh, big famous academies. But certainly they have... Um, great training opportunities for the for the elite players uh but if your kid if you want if your kid's dying to go there and train where where rafa trains you know you can do that just just it is what it is you know it, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be jammed and and it's, it's gonna be a great maybe uh, a great cultural experience or just an experience you know like a great memory but but you're probably you, you can't expect like to get uh, the same personal attention at some, you know, huge famous academy that that you're gonna that you 
the same level of personal attention that you get at a small boutique place, you know, so that, that, that's just a fact. So, you know, just consider that. And if you, if you just want your kid just dying to go to the South of France and, 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 and visit Nice, that's fine. You know, that's fine. You, if your kid's dying to go to Mallorca or Barcelona or wherever, uh, that's okay. Just, just, uh, you know, your expectations should be, uh, uh reasonable when you understand like the dynamics of what's happening in the summer at those places there's there's a massive influx of people and uh, that creates a lot of uh, chaos for the summer staff Uh, anyway uh, psychology I get some requests now for psychology psychology programs at summer camp and let's just end on on that note Um, I think it's it's a little bit comical when if a parent requests uh, psychology sessions but has doesn't have much interest in how how the quality of the fitness uh, program because to me I very much believe that the foundation of of good mental toughness and competitive uh, competitiveness and uh, uh, being being uh, mentally tough is a, uh, a uh, strong fitness, uh, endurance, and uh, uh, being a better athlete is, is going to help. So if a player's out of shape, I'll, I'll say it a different way, if a player's out of shape, that's going to affect their mental toughness and their emotional control and th- their entire uh, competitive psychology. So uh, consider that, if it, whether you b- maybe you buy into that or not, if I could convince you or not. But if you have a few weeks or a month at summer, I think the most bang for your buck is uh, a strong fitness program where your kid's going to learn discipline and uh, physical. Uh, uh, they, will, they will receive a physical education. They will learn how to prevent injury, work on uh, speed, strength, and agility, perhaps, or maybe develop some power in, in a certain area. And anything like that, to me, is really valuable. Develop their endurance. And... Um, of course, there is uh, lots of sports psychology that, that can be uh, taught to a player, that can be helpful for a player. There's, there's a lot there in the sports psychology realm. But I, w- I just think in a summer camp setting, uh, what I've noticed is some camps start, and start to offer that psychology program, and it starts to actually cut into the physical training time, like the gym. Uh, it, it can cut into the tennis training time. And I just don't think it's a great fit for summer. Mm, try to think as a parent, does your kid, would your kid benefit? Is your kid really going to benefit from a, a few sessions a week of just general uh, psychology principles with someone? Um, maybe, you know, maybe. Uh, a lot of times those principles can be interwoven onto the, t- like good tennis coaches kind of work on that on the court with uh, th- those those general things, like when a player is competing or, when a player is playing points and, and all the on-court stuff, good good coaches are, are, are kind of working on, assessing and working on some of those important uh, psychological building blocks, I think, at least we do, uh, in, in my program. So it's sort of interwoven into the tennis training. And the idea that you need a separate class with, uh, with someone to go over that, I, I'm not sure it's the best fit for summer because the summer's already uh, jammed and you have limited time uh, during the week. Um, I think... If a kid really needs psycho- psychology, 
uh, it might be best to do that in uh, private, maybe scheduling private sessions with the psychologist or, or doing that more during the school year. Um, that's kind of where I'm at w with uh, psychology. I do get that requ those requests from parents from time to time. I say, yes, we have, we have a psychology program, but it's in interwoven into the tennis training. It's not uh, separate. And um, I think it's so important to get the fitness right. I, I just think it's like putting uh, the cart before the horse. You, you, can't, you, you need to have the, the fitness level to sustain uh, good psychology. And if, you, if it makes no point in, in studying the, with the best psychologist in the world, you bring in Dr. Jim Lair, the legend, uh, if you're out of shape. Because as soon as you lose your, as soon as you get tired, and as soon as you fatigue, emotional control is, is uh, very difficult. Mental control focus is very difficult. Your strategy and tacti tactical planning is uh, very difficult. Everything becomes difficult when you are tired. So um, that's usually the, the way I see it. And in the limited time that you have in a camp, I just think that time can be better used uh, getting whipping your butt into shape, getting strong, and you can work on mental, uh, some mental skills in fitness with a good, a good, I don't know any great fitness trainer who doesn't work on the psychology of a player in, during, in the gym and on the track and wherever, and the same on the tennis court. Good tennis coaches are always working on that uh, on the tennis court. So it's not that you say the psychology is not important, but I say the most important is your fitness level and getting serious about your fitness and then let's work on your psychology uh, in an integrated way on the tennis court, in the gym, etc. Uh, rather than scheduling a fancy uh, session in the classroom that may or may not really have an impact. So that's kind of where I am about uh, psychology for summer camp. Uh, well, let me know if you agree or disagree. You know, I'm still kind of debating that in my own mind. Uh, but that's the way that I see it. So I hope some of these uh, pitfalls help you. If it's summer, it's summer camp season, I, I'm getting signups all the time. We're almost full for our camp, which is great. Um, I'm excited uh, that we're starting here. We start here, our camp, in June, June 13th, so really about a, a month away. Uh, I can't believe it. Summer's here again. And uh, we have kids boarding here. We have... Uh, kids coming up with their families and uh, you can be a day student or, or bored with us if you're interested in our program just shoot me an email or let me know oh i forgot i promised one of our viewers to answer a quick question from the email grab bag very exciting we have a, a big fan of the show scott scott austin i think and he has a question we're gonna i will try to answer your email question scott says that i should ask all of you the viewers to send me your questions via email. My email is chris at chrislewitt.com. And uh, you can send me any email questions about junior development to there, and I will actually answer those. We used to do that in the past, Scott, uh, about a couple of years back with the show, and then I don't know what happened. I probably got uh, busy with uh, other things, and, and we, we can definitely reinstitute that and answer email questions on the program. So the question that Scott had for me is, over the years, he's, I'm reading it, over the years, several coaches have discouraged my daughter from ever hitting a slice or backspin back in. 
they want her to always use topspin on her backhand and forehand. Do you agree with that? Do you think the backhand slice is still a valuable shot that should be employed? So it's a really good question, uh, fairly common question. The slice is a really important shot at the high level. Pretty much all the great coaches that I've studied with uh, build, the, you know, develop the slice. Um, maybe some more than others. I can tell you that in Spain, like Luis Bruguera was sort of, I don't want to say anti-slice, but not a huge fan, especially for, he, he felt it like sort of made the game complicated for some kids. He wanted them, uh, for some players, he wanted them just to kind of uh, keep the game simple and drive the ball. But he always said it depends on the personality of a player. Some players are more creative and they use the slice more. Some players are more one-dimensional and um, I'll, I'll tell you that, Scott, I've had uh, it, players that are, who are going to benefit more from the slice, they, they're, they're, they're creative, you know, and they, they, they want to, you know, play with more variety and they want to have those tools. Some kids don't benefit from that very much. Some kids, the way they're wired, like you could spend, it, it's probably a waste of time to teach them a slice or, or you know, spend too much time on it. I would say you probably have to have some kind of... Uh, slice when you're stretching or for defense but that's probably a good idea but you know the idea that you're going to use it like Federer or or Dogopolov comes to mind or or uh, you know I think of any 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 of the top players that really use their slice uh, as a weapon or to attack someone or uh, to change the the rhythm of the game players, not every player is wired to do that. So that's the first sort of uh, wisdom I could try to help you with is that it depends on your kid's personality. And I don't know about your daughter. If you sense that she's kind of a creative type and she would benefit from having more variety, more tools like that, by all means, uh, you should teach that to her. But there are some caveats. Uh, some Some kids depending on their age, they should hit more topspin and, and develop their drive first, you know, as a priority because you shouldn't, like, for example, it's a tricky question because some kids slice because they're not confident in their drive, you know. You, that should never happen. You should always have a really good, you know, two-hander or one-handed backhand topspin, and the slice should be, you know, it, it's it's an additional, uh, it's an additional flavor or spice that you add to your backhand. It shouldn't be that a player's slicing because they're afraid to hit uh, topspin or they're not consistent with their topspin. So that I would, I don't know what level your daughter is, but uh, if, she, you know, some players will slice when they're nervous or they'll slice when it's a pressure moment or they'll slice because they have bad footwork or they're lazy and they don't want to move. So they'll slice and some players slice when uh, they shouldn't slice, like bad tactical, bad tactical decision. Some players slice um, basically when they shouldn't. So I think probably the coaches you, you, you referenced, some coaches have that, that uh, opinion, you know, that the slice is kind of, uh, can, can lead to some bad habits. Like just taking footwork, for example, some players, when you teach them a slice, and now whenever they have a wide ball, they slice. Instead of like moving their feet, the extra steps and getting there and ripping the ball, they slice. Or uh, let's say return or serve. Some players, uh, they get a big serve and they chip the return rather than driving. Rather than driving it, they chip the return because they've been working on their slice and uh, 
they think it's cute or it's going to work. It usually doesn't work. And when you chip your return, a lot of times you get hammered, you get attacked. So just, you know, things like that. It, it's actually, it's a very good question. It, it's, a comp, it's a complex question because it depends so much on the player. And so, the, so a few things I would say is, you know, the personality matters. Like you need an artist to, um, you need someone who's artistic and creative to really utilize the, all the benefit, all the full advantages of a, of a good slice backend. Like you, you need to have someone who's wired that way. So if you spend all your time, like I've had parents, like, you know, they teach their, they spend hours a week teaching their kids a beautiful slice, but the kid probably not going to use it that much because they're not, they're not really an artist. Like you see someone like Roger Federer, you know, one of the legends and the way he uses a slice, I'm not sure everyone can play like that. Like even if you teach the mechanics right, not everyone's going to use the slice the way he the way he did. I don't know if he's fully retired now or, or whatever. If he's, if he's coming back or what, I think he I think he says he's going to try to come back. But you, you're not going to get every player in your stable to, to play like that because that that comes that's that's personality and that's the that's uh, DNA and wiring and you know. Uh, so just think about that. But but probably everyone every serious player should have a, a basic slice. You know when they're stretched to play defense. Sometimes the slice is good, or to change the, to occasionally to keep the ball low. I mean, a lot of people don't like low balls, so it's good to have a slice to uh, keep the ball low. And when you develop your slice, you help develop your back end volley. There's a lot of benefits to developing a good slice. I, I'm certainly not against the slice, but I would say it's backwards or ass backwards to spend a lot of time on the slice if the player is not solid with the topspin so to me topspin is the priority it's it's the the bottom of the pyramid or the base the foundation of the house and then as you start building the house upwards you certainly should develop some different uh, variety of backends and uh, especially underspin backends but you can take it to a uh, to a very artistic level, or you can keep it very simple, depending on the player's personality. So if you sense that you have an artist, and sometimes you do, you get lucky, you say, wow, this kid's really artistic. Uh, you can teach, you can spend more time on the slice, you can develop it from just a, a standard slice that the player is not going to use that much to something that they're actually going to use a lot to uh, affect the outcome of a match. So you can teach... Uh, you know, different spins on the slice. You can teach uh, attacking slices. You can teach uh, different ang angles, angle slices. You can you can add in drop shot. A lot of creative kids like to use the slice. Uh, you know, it's basically a cousin of the drop shot. So you have the drop shot that comes into play there. So there's a lot of cool stuff you can do there if you have an artist that you're that you're. If your son or daughter is an artist, or if you're a coach, if you recognize the creativity in a player that you're coaching. Uh, then it, it's probably a good idea to start developing that. But it, it comes with a lot of pitfalls because, like I said, if the one, when a player starts learning the slice, maybe they don't spend as much time on their two, their, their, I would say most kids are two-handers, but their, their topspin two-hander or one-hander, and then they have, it creates more indecision for a player. Uh, Luis, my mentor in Spain, Luis Bergera, he didn't like the slice that much. He wasn't a huge fan because he didn't like that indecision that it created in the player. He liked the, the player's mind, like just locked in on driving the ball and not to get 
uh, not to have too many thoughts about like, oh, what should I do now? Or like, what should, you know, and some kids, uh, some kids really struggle with that decision making. You know, they're, they're not, maybe they're not that creative, not that artistic. They're, they, they're not sure when to use the slice. And so it becomes a problem in match play and in tournaments because uh, they either use the slice at the wrong time or, or, or it creates sort of an, a little bit of anxiety because they don't know when to do which one. And so that can be problematic. So just watch out for that. Try to figure out if you have an artist there. I would definitely say you, 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 everyone should have like something with the slice. Some, you know, all, even the best two-hander should have a, a, a slice for certain situations. But the, the idea that all the players are going to play like, like Roger uh, and use the slice like someone like Roger or, um, you know, or... You, know, you can think of artistic players over the over the his, history of the game. It's not likely. So I hope that helps. It's kind of interesting a topic. It's probably maybe a longer discussion, but I hope some of those thoughts helps you, Scott. All right, I'll see you guys on the next program. I think we're going to talk about Alcaraz and Nadal. Very uh, topical discussion. Uh, it's uh, been a pleasure. Uh, God bless and adios, amigos. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Vamos.